Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi there, and before we begin, just a word of warning. The line on this conversation isn't great, but I hope it doesn't impair your enjoyment of it. Hello, and welcome to TLS Voices. I'm Toby Lushlig. In the late 1950s, the TLS published an article by the young critic Theodore Solitarov about a new trend in American writing. Entitled A Vocal Group, the piece focused on a generation of Jewish authors, including Saul Bellow, Bernard Malamud, Lionel Trilling and Irving Howe, who combine their experience of growing up in often Yiddish-speaking immigrant households with a wider national outlook, drawing on a distinctly American tradition of outsider writing. Just two decades later, however, Howe rang the death knell for this Jewish literary renaissance when he argued that the materials of the immigrant experience was set to suffer a depletion of resources. As memories from the old world faded, it seemed Jewish-American writing was beginning to run dry. So is there such a thing as Jewish-American writing today? And if so, how does it differ from the writing of the mostly second-generation immigrants who came to prominence after the Second World War? Well, the American critic Morris Dickstein has written a fascinating piece for the TLS about exactly this, and I have him on the line to discuss it. So, hello, Morris. And I'd like to start off by asking to what extent you think Irving Howe's prediction has come true. Well, Irving Howe was writing about the experience of his generation, which was that a lot of the material for uh, the, the, the great Jewish-American writing of the years right after World War II was really rooted in uh, the world of immigrant families, uh, uh, memoirs by people like Kazan and novels by Saul Bellow, Bernard Malamud, and so on were were rooted in the immigrant experience and how felt that the assimilation of American Jews into the mainstream would gradually bleach out the Jewish character of their work in much the same way that it had done to the lives of ordinary people. Uh, that turned out not to be the case. Instead, it uh, we've had an example of the famous uh, thesis of the immigrant historian Marcus Hansen, where the third generation tries to recall what the second generation tried to forget. And so assimilation uh, contributed to the variety of Jewish perspectives in recent literature. Uh, it's no longer uh, a, a more or less a single model, as, but simply uh, a range of different Jewish experiences that have also been part of the mainstream of American writing. Right, and, and, and along with the third generation, I guess we've also had a new generation of, of immigrants um, more recently. Yes, I, I can't overestimate the degree to which the Soviet writers, the writers from the former Soviet bloc, have really contributed a new voice to Jewish-American writing. Not exactly the same as the earlier immigrant generation, because their experiences were quite different, but and many of them came as children. Uh, the, the usual process is that the immigrant generation itself 
doesn't write the books because they don't have the linguistic competence. And it's usually their children that write the books, the children who've been educated in, within American society. And in the case of the Russian immigrants, many of them, like uh, Gary Steingart, Lara Vapniar, and so on, came here as children, and so they had their education here, and they were able to write directly from the immigrant experience in a much more rapid way than was true of the earlier generation. So do you think the, the newer generation were responding less to their parents and more to their own, their own experience than, than, let's say, the bellows of this world? Well, I think they were responding to the contrast between the mindset of their parents, which uh, the world, how they grew up, and, and the mindset that, that they themselves had developed by going to American schools and American colleges, often getting advanced degrees. And so there was not, not simply a gap between generations, the gap within their own lives, and that became, I think, fruitful material, along with the world of their parents as they as they assimilated it and, and in the world of serious anti-Semitism from which their parents had fled it in Russia or Latvia uh, and so on. And anti-Semitism is obviously an interesting theme in this context and I wonder if you if you were able to say something about how the different ways in which the different generations have dealt with a Holocaust. So, I mean, obviously for the the 50s and 60s generation, it was extremely close, and in in, it wasn't even the cultural memory, it was just close in the memory. And, and yet, I think we find quite a lot of reference to the Holocaust in more recent Jewish writing, Jewish-American writing. And I wonder if, if this is sort of a different timbre in the way it's handled. Well, this is, this is a curious phenomenon, because to a degree, the, the story of the Holocaust was suppressed in the years after the war. In fact, <clears throat> virtually none of the great Jewish writers uh, like Bellow wrote about it at all during that early period. Some of them came to it later. There's a famous, uh, now famous letter by uh, Saul Bellow to Cynthia Ozick, written around 1987, explaining why he felt guilty and ashamed that he'd not been able to deal with the subject earlier. He was so determined to try to navigate the mainstream. Now, you could look at the early Bellow novels the grimly depressive work of a, uh, an early Bellow novel like The Victim uh, and some of the early Malamnon, you could say it was really indirectly inflected by the Holocaust, but the, the general fascination with the Holocaust after 1970, I think, influenced the younger generation more than it influenced the generation that actually lived through it. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. I wonder, I mean, you mentioned in your piece an, an interesting thing about how post-67 Israel has, has had a great bearing on, on, on the kind of Jewish diasporic experience and, and the the perception of the, the Jew has changed from one of victimhood uh, bound up with the Holocaust to one of aggressor bound up with Zionist politics. And I wonder how you feel that has infected the later generation who are, who are obviously writing about the Holocaust and are very interested in it, um, but also have to deal with other perceptions of, um, and perhaps unfair perceptions of, of Jewishness as bound up with Israel and thus bound up with right-wing Zionist politics. Well, very few of the younger writers are, would, I think, buy into right-wing Zionist politics. I think what's important is that they had an exposure to the Jewish state that was not available to the older generation. Uh, I can recall when I was growing up that Israel was much, much 
farther away. I was eight when the state came into being, but it, it seemed like a very distant place. And uh, I visited briefly when I was in my early 20s, but uh, but then not again for another close to 40 years. Uh, but for the younger generation, and this is not simply writers, but ordinary young Jews, uh, m there are many, many opportunities to visit Israel. And many of the younger writers, like Nathan Englander, actually lived there for long periods of time and are fluent in Hebrew. And I think this was, this was where the influence came, I think a little bit more than in the the, the political issues. I mean, some of the political issues, for example, do come up in Nathan Englander's stories, but this is not the primary focus. Uh, so I think that Israel and Hebrew, and I think uh, the kind of Orthodox Judaism in which the younger generation grew up, unlike the older generation, none of them came from Orthodox backgrounds. Uh, the, some, some in the younger generation did, and some of the younger generation even did advanced academic work in Jewish studies and Jewish history. So there were a, a quite different set of influences on the younger generation. Uh, the older generation's Jewishness mainly came from home and family and to some extent from Jewish socialist and labor movements. This is, and this is very different from what impacted the current generation. Um, and, and so what what do you think's coming next then? Um, you know, the the current generation have got their influences and when they have their their children and their children become the, the new second generation, as it were, where, where do you see Jewish American writing going? Or do you think it's too difficult and diverse a, a subject to round up in a nutshell? It's hard to know where their children will go. I think one of the striking things about the current relatively younger generation is the, the variety of the work they've done. Uh, the You'll find, just as you find some people in that generation, some writers who have used heavily Jewish material, you'll find others who might write a novel with a Jewish theme one year and a completely, a novel completely different, uh, completely without uh, any Jewish reference, uh, you know, in another year. Uh, you could make a, a very strong list of Jewish writers writing about Jews and an equally strong list of Jewish writers writing about anything but Jews. Uh, the, I, the other thing about them, of course, is that they, there's more of a shift towards history in the, in the work of the younger writers, and I think that will continue. It's not simply the history going back to the Holocaust, it's sometimes the history going back to the 17th century. And in this sense, they're, they're a little parallel to the Israeli writers, uh, such as Yahushua, who wrote one very good novel set around the year 1000 in Europe. So that kind of historical, I wouldn't call it academic, but historical interest in Jews and Judaism and Jewish culture is something that I, I think is, a, is an important feature of the current and I suspect the future of Jewish American writing. And, and I guess that's bound up in a Jewish education that, that the likes of Roth and Bellow didn't have, um, is what you're saying, that it, it, you know, it comes from a different source. You know, I think for Roth and Bellow, it was the family upbringing that mattered. Yeah. Uh, and the, the generation gap between them and their parents. Uh, you might say that the younger generation is more academically Jewish, but also more religiously Jewish and has uh, a a much greater level of what you could call Jewish literacy uh, and knowledge. Uh, the, the older generation knew a lot about Jews, but very little about Judaism. 
current generation knows a great deal about Judaism and also about Jewish history and Jewish culture. Now, that doesn't necessarily make for powerful writing. It can make for academic writing. But so far, it, it's had a rather fruitful impact. Well, actually, yeah, this, this is what I wanted to finish by asking you. What, what extent do you think the, the current crop sort of stand up against the, the greats of the, of, you know, let's say the 50s, 60s and 70s, or do you think it's too soon to tell? Well, it's, you know, it's hard to say. The first time I, I ever wrote about this new generation, I gave a talk in London at, I think it was at the Jewish Book Fair in, around the year 2000, and uh, a publisher got up and said, uh, you, know, I, you know, I go to New York all the time, and I never haven't heard of all these writers. <laughs> you know, who are they? And uh, I don't know whether he would say that today. They're better known now, but... Uh, as yet, I think they're all in midstream, in mid-career. <laughs> and uh, the question of whether they'll do anything that will stand up to the Bellow, Malamud, Roth generation, I think that's still an open question. Uh, I think the last line of my article, whether the variety of influences upon them eventually will prove to be a source of power or not, I think that remains an open question. Read more about Jewish American literature in this week's TLS, which also explores the many selves of David Bowie, the double lives of Christopher Hitchens, the demi-monde of 19th century Paris, Ezra Pound, the music critic, and the search for the world's rarest bird. To find out more about the TLS, and to read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS. Life in every word. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.